It's about time someone gets real. Bro, are you sure we're even supposed to be listening to this? Welcome to the Church Misfit Podcast with motivational and thought-provoking content designed to push you further personally, professionally, and spiritually. If this don't move you, you might be dead. Here's your host, Catalyst Collective founder, Joe Elliott. Okay, so um, I just, for the sake of those of you who weren't here in the first session, I wasn't planning on going this, but let me just recap who we are. Catalyst Collective, uh, our nonprofit organization is based out of Texas. And, you know, what we're trying to do is help everybody from youth to young adult to adult to churches to local businesses understand how they're uniquely made and why it matters. Sometimes we do that uh, under a spiritual context. Sometimes we do that under a corporate context if you're a business. But um, ultimately, you know, we got started because I got burnt out with youth ministry. And so when I when we start this session, What I'm going to ask you to do is an exercise that I asked youth pastors to do eight years ago when we were just piloting this thing. And that is we sat in a room and we said, all right, if we had no idea what youth ministry was, none whatsoever, it does not exist, right? There's no Doug Fields manual for this. You have not seen it done before. But all you know is that God has called you to a specific region to reach young people. What do you do? And so we started whiteboarding ideas, then we stopped, we took a step back, looked at all these ideas, and we're like, wow, those are some awesome ideas. But then we got sad because we realized none of that's in our job description. And if we did any of that, we wouldn't have got hired in the first place and we'd probably get fired if we tried it. And so in the process of doing that, I realized something about myself that was valuable, and that is that my heart longed to really work outside the church, not within the church. I wanted to build a bridge to draw people to the church, but I wasn't necessarily, I didn't have the giftings to really shepherd and pastor people well, right? You know, there's executive pastors, teaching pastors, pastor pastors, like shepherds, like, you know, I'm gonna love you and follow you to the end of the earth. I'm more on the strategic side of things. And so it was a realignment for me. So I went back to my senior pastor that summer and said, listen, um, good news, bad news, Good news is I got an idea. Bad news is it's not youth ministry. This sucks. And so he was gracious enough to say, man, go for it, do it. Um, And we really didn't have anything to lose, quite honest. Uh, You know, we had a $500 a month operating budget. We were in this like crap warehouse. I mean, it was, I mean, it was no youth room, nothing awesome or sexy about our group whatsoever. We didn't have any cool kids come in. We didn't have a band, motivational speaker. We met in the back half of a warehouse where our couches actually came from the dumpster that I would throw sheets on and I had to check every week for rats just to make sure there weren't any. There was no AC. We were freezing in the winter, sweating in the summer. It sucked. I mean, most people would drive by the church and be like, I didn't know that there was actually a church there. I thought you guys were just an abandoned warehouse. So that's what I had going for me. And, um, and so, you know, from that, I was like, you know what? We got nothing to lose. We really don't have anything to lose. So let's just try something different. Brought five high school interns in that summer. And, uh, and I said, listen, none of your friends go to church. You know that. I know that. They don't want to come here. They don't want to go anywhere. What do they want to do? And so from there, we started to, to take the whiteboard of ideas that I had. That's that previous uh, round with youth pastors. M- melted it with the ideas the teens had. And then we had a funeral service for our youth group. We killed it. We had a eulogy. Kids got up and spoke about what they're going to miss about youth ministry. And we created a separate or parallel 
501c3 nonprofit organization called Catalyst Teen Center, which started opening up classes in the community for teens to come and explore their gifts and passions, personally, professionally, and spiritually. We were teaching them, we had like archery on the side of the building, how to survive the zombie apocalypse. We had, you know, uh, how to speak Japanese, karate, you know, jujitsu, wrestling, sewing, uh, it, you name it, guitar lessons, music lessons. And, uh, and our little 25 kid youth group with $500 a month operating budget in 18 months had connected with over a thousand teens and young adults in the area. Uh, it created a basis for our philosophy on outreach, discipleship and all that kind of stuff. And we've evolved it ever since. Not too long after that, the local high schools began to call um, and knock on our door and say, hey, listen, we hear what you're doing in the community. We love it. Can you come solve some of our problems? And boom, we're in the public schools. We've wanted to have one campus and a second campus and a third campus and then piloting campuses other places. And so it, it kind of started to boom and spread. And so we're in, in the process of all that. We're just trying new things. We don't know what really what we're doing, but we know doors are opening and we're connecting with church and unchurched kids and they're growing they're wanting to come back 80 percent retention rates so forth and so on so um, a lot of what i'm going to share in this uh quick 20 minutes is some of our best of our approach to discipleship and these are the things that we hit on i've been at this 20 years now and i'm looking at this saying these are just the things i do over and over and over again there's a lot of great ideas out there but i can't go implement all the great ideas out there I can only implement some really, really, really well, and so that's what I'm going to focus on. And so here it goes. So welcome to the session of seven highly effective ways to disciple Gen Z. I'm going to give you some context around that and jump right into the practicals. So one, two, three is this uh, that you need to know about us. One, we believe that every person, just like you do, is completely unique, and every church system, every church is completely unique. We have a, our own unique thumbprint, and that's important. That's important, right? Because we come to conferences like this, we're trying to figure out how to contextualize all this information into our specific ministry. And so we believe that needs to be done, but we also believe that traditionally, churches and ministries do a poor job of knowing how they're uniquely made and wired in the first place. And so that's why we did the Purpose Project for Churches, and it's the basis of the new book and all that kind of stuff. Because unless I really know how I'm wired, not just, I'm talking beyond spiritual gifts here. Spiritual gifts are helpful, but it only pay, paints part of the picture. Like, what are my life experiences and my passions and my talents and my personality type? And all of that merged together. Then I get a pulse on me. I get a pulse on collectively what God has brought to the church. And then I get a pulse on the, the region I'm trying to outreach to. When I have all three of those, now I have a basis to really make strategic, educated decisions on what I should uniquely do in ministry, given my context and what God's given me to work with. So that's number one. Number two is a holistic approach to discipleship that I mentioned. Basically, we feel that that is the way that engages and empowers the next generation faster and further. And so what do I mean by that? Look, most of our school systems are headed that way. They're, they realize that, hey, education is their sweet spot. That's what they are there for. That's what they were created for, but it's not enough. Just in my hometown, uh, Cedar Park, Texas, we had five teenage suicides in the last year uh, in the school district. So we know throughout the nation, mental health is an issue. It's on the rise. It's a concern, anxiety, depression, cutting, suicide, you name it. It's escalating, and yeah, it could very well point to social media, but the trend in social media is not gonna slow down anytime soon. It's gonna just continue to pick up. And so church, schools are starting to ask, what do we do about the mental health issues? They're starting to look at things beyond the sphere of education, and they're looking at the person of the student they're trying to develop, personal, professional, because these kids aren't going to church anymore, right? Uh, in Austin, 95% of teens no longer attend church. 
95% of teens no longer attend church in Austin, Texas. Yeah, it's a little blip. It's not the Bible Belt. It's a blip on the Bible Belt, but it's still not uncommon to hear about that uh, nowadays, right? So we're looking at that and we're saying, how do we disciple people personally, professionally, and spiritually? I'm going to get into that. And, um, and here's a thought. Uh, actually, I'll say that for later. Uh, and the last one is three. To lead others effectively, honestly, we only need to know three things about a team. Where they're at, where they've been, where they want to go. Done. That's it. Where they're at, where they've been, where they want to go. And honestly, if you took, and I did this a long time ago, I write down a list of all the kids that were in my youth ministry, I couldn't answer those three things, right? I had an idea on some of them, but I never asked them to really sit down and write down their life experiences. Man, when you ask a kid to do that, and you see what they write down, and you're like most of us, you're trying to figure out is that real or not real, right? But a lot of the times it's real. Right? Some of their, their life experiences, their traumatic parts that they don't want to tell anyone, but if you sit down and ask them one-on-one as part of what we're doing and they started loading on you, you get an idea of, man, I didn't know you had been there. I didn't know that's where you were at. And I surely didn't really understand that those were your passions and where you want to go. But with those three pieces of data, man, that's what I need to effectively lead the next generation. So um, that said, you've got, a, you've got a ton full of information on what Gen Z is, and I'm not gonna sit here and recap Gen Z, but I will point out a couple of things that I am I'm honed on that are important to me, that I see are, are the most important things that we need to grasp about Gen Z. Yeah, they're the first digitally native generation ever, meaning they grew up with iPads and technology and they were poking on it from when they were a baby. Uh, they're mission-minded, value-oriented, you know, Equality is big, diversity is big, they're post-Christian, we know all that. Struggles, rise in mental health, suicide and depression, cyberbullying, school shootings, distrust of authority, dual incomes. Let me explain some of these, distrust of authority. Guys, I don't think we understand how deep of a cut that is right now. And that's important for all of us. Look at the world through the lens of a Gen Zer and, and, and authority. They come from... They've seen marriages fail left and right, left and right, left and right. There's no value in the institution of marriage, right? They turn on the TV, they see, you know, police doing things they shouldn't be doing, right? You can't trust the cops, you can't trust politicians. That's never really been a thing anyway, but it just keeps getting worse. It's more of a circus show out there, right? And so that's why you can't trust teachers because teachers are sleeping with students. You can't trust pastors because pastors are doing the same thing sleeping with students. I remember the first church I served in in Austin, Texas, pastor got thrown in jail for embezzling $500,000 from the church. That was my first experience in like the church world. Like this, this is a reality check, right? And so everywhere they look, everything that says authority has failed them. And yet we want to lead with the Bible being the ultimate source of authority and expect them to adopt that? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And so that's just from looking at it from their lens, other side of the coin. We know that's what they need, but it is absolutely not what they want. So how do we, how do we uh, rectify that? Well, a um, couple of things we know about them. I'll get to that in a sec. A couple of things we know about them also, dual income homes, right? We're, we're at a, it takes two incomes to survive these days. You find very few families that are living off one income. It takes two incomes to survive, which means parents have less time than they've ever had before. And quite frankly, I know, we know that parents should be involved more with their kids, but they're not. They don't have time. They don't have time. And so I honestly don't know that equipping parents is 
something we should spend a whole lot of time in. That's probably not something you're gonna hear anyone in this conference say, but it's the reality. You can give them the tools and spend time developing the tools, but I think very few of them will actually apply them. That's a reality check. So, so what do we do? And I look at this and I say, well, man, you know when we survey kids in our after hours program, which is serving at-risk kids in the schools, what's the biggest challenge in your life? What do you think they say? I mean, like, relationships, depression, grades, all correct. You know what the number one answer is that we've found? Getting along with step-siblings is the biggest struggle in their life. Because if you look at their family unit, you take initially a biological mom, dad, them, you chop it up in a blender, mom's on her third marriage, dad's gone, I don't know where dad is, I've got a second set of step-living, what's happening now? Well, well, mom's dating a guy who also has teens, and then we're, we're living together, and then that relationship doesn't work out, so they split up, and then mom dates another person who also has teens, and they're moving in, and I'm together with them, and that's not working out. The constant reblending of families is this major tension, right, on youth. Um, interesting. So anyway, um, those are some of the things that, that stick out to us. The, also, the thing that we also want to know, take note of, guys, is remember, their entire, and this is key for what we're going to point out to you in a, in a sec, their entire lives have been structured. They've been told when to get up, when, you know, what to eat for breakfast, how to dress, when to go to school, when they're at school. They're told every day what to do, where to class, this, 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 this. They get home, chores, blah, 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 blah. Repeat, do it again. Whole life has been structured. Right? And so... I think that's important when we think about how do we mentor and lead them. They don't want, they need structure, but they're not asking for traditional biblical discipleship. So how do we rectify that? All right. So uh, lastly, identity, purpose, and belonging. The more things change, the more they stay the same. You're a teen today. You're a teen 100 years ago, 500 years ago. Same thing. As adults, we're constantly wrestling with who am I? Where do I fit in? Where do I belong? Identity, purpose, and belonging. Who am I? What am I here for? Where do I fit in? Identity, purpose, and belonging. It's like a record that's on repeat. Am I doing, and then as an adult, we just kind of like, am I in God's will? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Identity, purpose, and belonging. We're constantly looping that record, and that's the same with teens. So when I look at discipleship, I'm asking myself, is everything that I'm doing, am I leading them in these three categories? So the practicals, here they are. Seven highly effective ways to disciple Gen Z. This is, again, my opinion. You may not be able to get away with some of this stuff at your church, but I'm just telling you what's effective. You gotta figure out how to contextualize it. One, do something scary. There is nothing that bonds humans together more than fear, right? Now, fear can be bad. Trauma, nearly dying in a car accident, being in something like that, that is a bad form of fear. Then there's healthy fear. Right? We rolled a roller coaster together and you know, I you know, threw up everywhere. You know, that was a bonding moment. Fear brought us closer together. But you know, in the church world, we actually play it safe, too safe. And so what I'm suggesting here is we think about how we incorporate scary moments and uh, it, you know, when we talk about discipleship. And here are, some, here are some things that I've done. One. It's one thing to talk about issues, social justice issues, like you know, pornography or sex trafficking or abortion or the homeless or whatever. But it's another thing to say, hey, we're gonna talk about it, 
Then we're gonna go step front in it. We're gonna go into it. How do you do that? Man, we go take them to pray in scary places. When I take kids to a homeless outreach, I'm not taking them to the soup kitchen. That's boring. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna wait till nine o'clock at night and if you're in a city or urban area, I'm gonna take them out at night. We're gonna go from bridge to bridge, handing, delivering food out and praying for homeless people and getting to know their story. I don't know what's gonna happen, right? Because there's a lot of mental illness on the streets, but that's reality. This is not safe. This is nothing about Christianity is safe. And so I'm not trying to protect them from that. I'm trying to bring them into it, right? As close as I can get to it without getting seriously stabbed, right? But, but we've done that in, in Austin. We have something called Sixth Street. Which, if you're familiar with Sixth Street, it's a line of bars and it's a live music capital of the world. On Friday and Saturday night, they shut down the streets. I mean, because there's so many people, it's like a freak show, it's crazy. You know, you got people throwing up, you got all kinds of craziness going on on Sixth Street. Police are barricading things to make sure they can jump in on time. And not a place you really want to be, but we take kids out there to what? Prayer walk. We're gonna walk up and down the street, and we're gonna, we're gonna prayer walk. We're gonna see things, we're gonna stop, we're gonna huddle up, what do we see? We're gonna take them out and do that kind of stuff. We prayed in front of strip clubs, abortion clinics, you name it, mosques, right? It, like, we can teach, but we also gotta go and we gotta embrace the reality of it, it's scary. And if you've ever prayed in public like those kind of things, you know what happens. People shout at you, you get the middle finger, you get cussed at, and when a teen experiences that, you know what happens? Reality check, wow, I don't really wanna do this. This is really uncomfortable. Why do they, why is there so much hate? Maybe what, should I be doing this? And so they start to question their faith. And that's honestly, that's what I want them doing because them questioning their faith is infinitely better from them just going through the motions and showing up week to week to week. I want them to think about this stuff. Yeah, you're right, we are getting cussed at. Right? Why are we getting cussed at? Let's talk about that. So, scary. Scary. I've taken, when we do mission trips, we've done some of the safe stuff, but most often we haven't. We go to India, Honduras, we go to places that, we've taken them to Skid Row in LA, um, those kind of things. But it doesn't always have to be outreach oriented. Here's another idea. We played sardines. Anyone familiar with sardines? It's like hide and go seek in the dark, you go hide with another group. Well. You can do that in a safe place, or you can do that in like the Texas wilderness where there's rattlesnakes and cactus and you can't see Jack at night. That's a different kind of fear and it's fun and it works. You know, once a quick story, we did it in the warehouse of the church one time, play sardines. And so I was with a group of kids that were hiding and, they, and we had, it was an open exposed roof, uh, you know, so you could walk up and then there was drop ceiling tile everywhere else, but you can get up into the rafters. And so we're like, oh dude, no one's ever gonna find us here. So we got up into the rafters and we were hovering above the restroom. And of course they're kids. So they don't know what to step on and not step on. And as I see one kid stepping out, thinking that that little piece of ceiling tile is gonna hold his weight, it was like slow motion, no! He goes, steps on the ceiling tile, falls straight to the ceiling, right into the women's stall on the toilet, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm done as a youth pastor. I'm done. That was one of those times where, it, oh, beep, came out of my mouth, right? It was like, oh my God, I'm dead. He's dead. We're all dead. I just killed a youth playing sardines. Well, miraculously, he didn't break a bone in his body. 
Uh, I peek down and I just see him laughing and in shock. He's literally like in the toilet, broke the toilet. But man, that was a bonding moment for the entire youth ministry. <laughs> Never forgot that. Never forgot that. Anyway, all right, moving on. Rites of passage, number two. Like, we don't have this in our culture, but it's so important. Remember, when we think back on, this is a, a generation that's come from broken families that aren't celebrating things. Like, like think about it. How many, ki- how many parents don't even show up to the kid's graduation nowadays? We're not celebrating their first driver's license or when they turn 16 or their first job. Man, that's an opportunity for us as leaders to step into those and really celebrate, come alongside and make a big, big deal online and maybe through some fun things that we do, that when these kids pass these monumental transitioning from elementary to middle, middle to high school, we should make a big deal of that. That's a rite of passage. And it's something that they look back on and say, man, I remember who celebrated that moment with me, right? We need more of that. We do that. We try to do that as much as possible. Um, So give them a path just means this. When we think about mentoring, again, leading back on the structure that they're used to, what we're trying to develop now, and if you follow us online, you're going to get more of this because we're in the process of developing a mentor program that any teen can step into, spiritual or not, so you can have an optional spiritual track and then you can have a personal and professional track which lets you mentor any kid, whether it's in the public school system or not, right? And you give them incentives along the way. When they get to certain plateaus, if you guys were an Eagle Scout or Girl Scout, you know the idea of this, right? You go from Boy Scout all the way up to Eagle Scout and you're, you're hitting markers, you know it's expected of you along the way and you're trying to aim for something. What if we did that as a church? That would be huge. That would be huge, right? Um, so keep going. Share space with them physically and digitally. We know about the physical part, but guys, we have to lean heavier on the digital. And that's hard, it's even hard for me. I, I, ha- I loathe social media, I get the benefit of it, I loathe it, I personally don't post enough, but here's the thing. I can, ha- I can have more touch points with them on the digital side of things than I can the physical side of things. So I've gotta lean in heavier of that, and when they, when they have wins going on in their life, I need to be loud about celebrating that online. Because they like the hug and the attaboy, but honestly, what they care about more is that you posted about them on your feed and tagged them so all their friends could see it. That will mean more to them. I'm, it just, it does. It does. And so I gotta get loud about being with them and sharing their space digitally. You gotta celebrate those whims loud because ultimately, here's, here's the thing. Whether you like it or we like it or not, we're all brands. When we're online and we're posting, we're representing us as a brand and we represent Jesus. And so my goal and our goal as the church should be the brand that every teen wants to follow for the rest of their life. They're connected with us online. They're seeing what we're doing, what we're doing with our family, what we're doing with our spare time. And they're the, we're the brand that they want to emulate. But that requires us being intentional about what we post and how we do it. So there we go. Number four, follow up and follow through. Again, this goes back to the distrust of authority. How do you tackle the big distrust in authority? Time, consistency, and authenticity. And this is the, it, you follow up and follow through. Follow up and follow through. If you say something to a teen and you do not follow through even once, you've lost their trust for potentially years. Oh yeah, 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 my youth pastor said they were gonna do it, but they never did. Boom, you go into the category of everybody else that has let them down and said something that they never followed through on. Once, once, our margin of error here is not very big. So when we make a promise, 
right? Whatever it is, we say we're gonna do something and we don't follow up, that's huge, but we gotta be intentional about that. Like, how do we do that? Follow up, follow through, do it consistently. Give them ownership, let them uh, lead before they're ready. This is not a popular one, I know, because we wrestle with this. The kid who smokes out constantly is coming to youth group, but is an amazing drummer. We can't let him lead worship because of all the blah, 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 blah. I know, I know, we can have long debates on that. Long, long, long debates on that, right? And so what I would say in general is this generation is looking to own things because that gives them the belonging. Remember the belonging part that they don't know where they fit in? Well, when they own something that's of value to you in the youth ministry that they know is important, not collecting the trash or writing people's name tags, but like something real, that, that's the stickiness that gives them ownership. And that ownership doesn't always have to be in the youth group. Maybe they can own something that represents the ministry in the school. But how do I know what I want them to represent? How do I know what things they can lead? Well, because I have a blueprint on how they're wired, what they care about, their gifts, talents, passions, and I'm gonna find something. And I'm gonna come alongside a team, I'm gonna say, you're my guy or girl for this. And it's important, let me tell you why this is important. And their, and their eyes will light up and they'll feel that weight of responsibility because they know it's important to you. And you've just made something sticky that they're gonna own. They're like, all right, all right. And then you know what? They're gonna fail over and over and over again. But you know that already. So you're just gonna come alongside and give them more and more encouragement every step of the way and they're gonna love it. Um, number six, measure impact by meaningful conversations. Guys, this is new. You're, you're, you're familiar with MC, missional community. That's been in the church world a lot of times. But I think the biggest drawback to youth ministry today is we're still measuring our effectiveness based on attendance and not depth. Breath, but not depth. And that is the single biggest error that we can make in ministry. Single biggest error. And if you have a senior pastor or a leadership team that is measuring your effectiveness based on, based on the the breadth and not the depth, they're in error. Shame on them. Record the, take the recording and say, Pastor, I need you to watch this. It's, it's killing us. Here is an alternate. Here's an alternate. If your church wants to be relative to the next generation for the next 50 years, here's an alternate. Meaningful conversations. One suggestion on how you measure that is this, right here on the paper. A meaningful conversation is something that is three to five minutes in length. It's about something that, that's currently meaningful to them and requires a follow-up. Let me give you an example. We run an after-school program that's reading at-risk teens. My wife does not like our approach to ministry because she's more in the old school. They need Jesus, they need Jesus, and they need Jesus now. Well, then I need, they need Jesus now approach has been failing for a long time, right? So let's be more patient in how we're discipling and leading them. And so my wife has slowly kind of eased her way over to my side of the fence. So she's at this after hours program in the public schools where she cannot talk about Jesus. And, uh, and so she's trying to be Jesus and come up with meaningful conversations. So she sits next to this uh, you know, little cute Asian girl and uh, she asks the Asian girl, okay, so what is it that you're into? What are your passions? And she pulls up on YouTube uh, you know those little pet shop dolls, the little weird animals with bobbleheads? Well, on YouTube, there's somebody that's taking the little pet shops and they're like doing still, still motion videos where they're whatever, they're putting them in stories. It's like a soap opera. Legos. Yeah, what is it? Legos? Legos? Yeah, I don't know. What is, yeah, it's something like that. It's crazy. 
And so as this girl is sharing what she loves and is touching her so much, she starts literally crying, tearing up, watching this video, and my wife is like dumbfounded. She literally doesn't know what to say. She was like, this generation is more screwed up than I thought. That's when she came home and told me, right? And, and, so, and so my wife was like, okay, what do I do with this? So what, do you, what is it that you love about that? And she, that's the creativity, it's the story. It's, because this girl is a creator, she's a writer. She wants to do stuff like this, right? And so what's the follow-up here? The follow-up is the next week, my wife is asking her, so have you done anything with this? Are you still watching the videos? Are you trying to learn how to actually make them? Like, what are your next steps? And they're having a dialogue. Well, I mean, it's, this was a couple of months back. The girl won't leave my wife's side. Every time she shows up, here's, the, here's this little cute Asian girl right in middle school, right by her side, right by her side. Because it's the first adult that's probably taken an interest in what she cares about and hasn't said that that's stupid or ridiculous. Leadership. And you know what? That girl's going to go home like she already has and she's followed my wife on Instagram. Discipleship. The modern age of discipleship. So now my wife has a lifelong follower. She better not screw up on Instagram. So anyway, that's a meaningful conversation. And if you can have one of those, start with one of those per month with every teen in your youth group. Then challenge yourself, can I have two meaningful conversations with every person in my youth, with every kid in my youth group, and not just you, but your leadership team too. Meaningful conversations. And when you do, you come back as a team, you celebrate it, you talk about it, and you're like, those are wins. Because those are the seeds that are planting that those kids are never going to forget. And it gives us the bandwidth to start talking about the heavier issues in life. Right? But it starts with what they care about. And last but not least, thanks for staying late, by the way. Embrace a holistic approach to discipleship. Ultimately, guys, wouldn't this be amazing if we were more than just spiritual leaders, but we became lifelong trusted mentors in somebody's life? Lifelong. That would be amazing because we understand that, that throughout life, you know, kids don't start with a big need to understand the spiritual. We all get there eventually. We start with a big need of fitting in. Who am I as a person? What am I going to do that's of value? The personal and professional spheres of discipleship. That's what's important. And so I would, I would encourage you to say, what can, me, what can we do as a ministry to begin to reach out and speak into all three spheres of discipleship, personal, professional, spiritual, right? Can we talk about, you know, helping kids find their first job? Can we help them put together resumes, interview? Can we talk about budgeting, handling finances, exploring and develop their gifts and talents, all that kind of stuff. When you do that, you have more angles to speak into their life. And by the way, as we all know, that man, the Bible, the wisdom in the Bible transcends everything. It is in everything and it is, it is so key. So I'll just end with this. Man, don't be afraid to fail. Again, 20 years, I can give you a whole, we do other seminars and all the things that I tried and were an utter failure. But we gotta remember with the church, we are dealing with, when, when it comes to the church, as a whole, don't take offense to this, but as a whole, the churches, the churches in our country are not innovators. They're not even early adopters. When you look at a bell curve of innovators, early adopters, mid-adopters, late adopters, and laggards, most churches, when it comes to new ideas and embracing new things, are mid to late adopters and laggards. But where does the innovation in the church come from? Right here in this room. Most of the trends, when you 
When you look at where most trends started in church that we embrace today is okay, they started in youth ministry. We are the innovators. We are. And it started back with D.L. Moody when he was taking out bars, renting them, and holding Sunday school classes to teach children how to read in abandoned bars. If you haven't read D.L. Moody's stuff, you've got to go read D.L. Moody's stuff. The history of youth ministry and how far we've drifted from what works is just astonishing. So I encourage you to be risk takers, go out there, do stuff, because I, I want to learn from you just as bad as we want to learn from each other, and we've got to find something that works in this country. All right, thank you guys for sustaining. Here's what you're going to do. For more free content from Joe and his team of church misfits, visit www.catalystcollective.community.